Good evening, church. Welcome to each of you here this evening, both members and visitors alike. We are honored to have you, the visitors, as our honored guests. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your written word as we read through it and understand the depth of your mind as you have revealed it to us. We're thankful, Lord God, to know about creation and to understand your plan that you have for us. And we ask, Lord God, as we worship you tonight, that we will find a reason to rejoice and to bring glory and honor unto you. We ask that you'll keep our minds from worldly thought and help us to focus on your word and on your will and on your way. And we thank you for all that you've done and for all that you do. Help us, Lord God, to do things according to your will. And we ask that your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5. I got a call some time ago from a brother in Christ who said to me, you know, I'm struggling in my walk of faith. And I noticed something about my walk of faith, and that is God's not hearing my prayers any longer. And we talked about that for a little while. And I turn to Hebrews 5 and I, and I look at verse 7, and it reminds me of that conversation in a way. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Back to Jesus in Matthew 26. Jesus cried to the Father with tears and supplication. And his prayer that we read about in Matthew 26 in verse 36, he said, Then Jesus came with them to a, pal- a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and his sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou will. And the Hebrew writer says, and Jesus prayed, and the Father heard him. Does praying to God mean that you ultimately get what you want? Or does praying to God mean that you're asking the master of the whole world, the universe, to answer it according to his will. Did God the Father hear Jesus? Of course he did. And remember that God had loved the God had loved the world. And Jesus died. In Isaiah 53, the Father was willing to was pleased to crush him if he would make himself a guilt offering for man. He was heard because of his piety, because of who he was. And I think about my brother and I asked the question, what makes you think God's not listening? And that was really the conversation. It wasn't whether or not you were being, that God was hearing what you were asking. It was God listening to what you were asking. And God was listening. And God did hear. And God did do things according to his will. Jesus prayed to the Father. And the Father answered the prayer according to the will of the Godhead. Jesus has been there. 
in Matthew 23. He's been there. He's been in every place, every place that we've been, emotionally, that emotional, if you will, we would call it, sometimes we feel like we're an emotional wreck. I'm not saying Jesus was ever out of control, but Jesus has been there to where life, life was just moving on. And he had to finish the mission that was set before him, and it was not without difficulty. In Matthew 23, in verse, verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and, and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses even for pretense. And you're making long prayers, therefore you shall receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one a proselyte, and when one becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Sometimes brethren can make life real difficult for people. Jesus has been there. In verse 18 it says, and whenever, uh, whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing but Whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated. People sometimes make all their decisions based on, on money. Have you been there? And yet, and yet when, you, when it's in the brotherhood, how do you deal with that? Jesus has been there. In Matthew 27, in verse, in verse 19, the text tells us regarding the remorse and standing before Pilate and while he was sitting on the judgment seat. His wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. You know where Jesus has been? Innocent and yet convicted as guilty. The verdict was out that Jesus had done nothing wrong. Pilate said it. Even Herod, no one could find anything with Jesus. And yet, what do you do with an innocent man? You crucify him, right? How, how do you feel? Get the emotion. Understand, like I talked last week about the emotion of Jesus and what, what a difficult time it was for Jesus. And yet, he stayed true to the course. He lived without sin. In verse 27 of Matthew chapter 27, Think about pride for just a moment. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and reed in his hand. And they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They, 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 they stripped him and, and brought him to complete hum humiliation. And they mocked him. And Jesus, the Bible says, he didn't defend himself. And in his mind, he couldn't, he couldn't be Jonah. You know, and goes, I want to go sit on the hill and watch you, Father, destroy them for the people that they are. He couldn't have those thoughts. The shame, 
of being stripped naked. And then if you will, down in verse 38, still the pride. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. I'm going to come back to them at, near the end. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. The, 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 the war, I don't know what they were saying, but it wasn't good. Now, now, think about this for just a moment. We go over to the hospital and we walk by a room and there's someone that's, that's dying. And they're, they're cognizant, they're able to communicate, but they're dying. And they don't have long, maybe a, you know, an hour or two or whatever. And, and the family comes by one at a time, and you, you witnessed it. And every family member walks in there and just insults that person and tells them how horrible of a father or mother they were and just keeps going and berates them with, how would you feel? And here's Jesus dying. And instead of compassion, the world shows him tremendous hatred and shamefulness. And yet... Though they challenge Jesus' ego and pride, he, he stays true to the course. And then in verse 40, And saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. You are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Come, come down from the cross. And what would you have done? The challenge, right? The challenge to do. You know you can. But, but you know you, you shouldn't. The challenge. What happens when people challenge our pride, right? Challenge us. What, what happens in the mind? Hebrews 12, here's that place that I love to go to when I think about the cross and all the challenges. And when I think about even challenges in my life, I think about Hebrews 12. And I, and I, I just, you know, I call it the happy place. <laughs> you know, maybe that sounds silly, but Jesus found that place. Whatever that place is, in, in verse 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And through all of that, he found that, that place of contentment and happiness. And I'm not saying he was giddy. and I'm not saying that. I'm saying he found that place that, that allowed him to focus and fixate his mind on his mission and on the Father, on the Godhead, on humanity, on good. In, in the midst of all of this trouble, we have to learn to find that place ourselves. We, we have to learn how, back to Matthew 27, we have to <clears throat> learn how to, to control our minds in very difficult situations. You know, oftentimes we, we lash out or, or we find a way to get revenge or we find ourselves filled with anger. We've got to find that, that place of solace, that peace that Jesus speaks of, that he only gives to his people. In verse 30, I think of, I think of the hatred um, that is displayed toward Jesus and that he can't hate back, Right? And they spat on him, took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And then keep in mind, that the, the blood clotting, right? They, they took the one robe, clothes off, stripped him, put a robe on him. And then as your, your, your blood clots and adheres to the robe they put on him, after they beat him some more, and then they tear that from his 
his body and the, and the pain and the agony in that, and yet no vengeance. No vengeance in his heart. In verse 35, And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And yet there's no anger. Or is there anger? Wow. Why are they they looking at me? What are are you looking at? Can't you see I'm... No, that that wasn't Jesus. Right? 1 Peter, please, chapter 2. That's not what he did. How did he do that? Well, that's, that's what we're supposed to learn as God's people. How did he do that? And God tells us how through the scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible there, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And that's one thing I know he did. He just kept giving it to the Father. He, he just kept giving it to the Father. And he even gave people. He gave the people over to the Father. Oh, if we could learn how to do that. And back to Matthew 27 again. In verse... In verse 37, they, they accused him with a sign. They put this sign above his head in, in Matthew 27, in verse 37. And it wasn't a sign of acknowledgement. It was a sign of accusation. And the sign reads, and they put up above his head the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. That's a charge that wasn't a sign of acknowledgement. It wasn't saying, look, here's Jesus, the king of the Jews. It was, yeah, there's Jesus. Some versions say he said he was, say that he said he was the king of the Jews. It was a charge against him. They mocked him. And yet he had to control his emotions, right? We're talking about emotions tonight. Luke chapter uh, 19. We'll grab that account. Luke 19 and uh, the verses are uh, 41. 41. And when he saw, when he approached the city, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, when Jesus, when he, the, the triumphant entry, when, when Jesus, when he approached, he saw the city, and he could see ahead AD 70. This place is about to be destroyed. And you read about that in Matthew and in Daniel and in other places. The devastation that happened in AD 70. And Jesus wept over the city. He has such emotion that was just, it was just building up and building up and building up. Of the horrors to come. And yet, he still trusted in God. He went to the cross. In verse 41 of Matthew 27, 
the temptation of trusting in man. You know, you know, you, you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. Maybe so-and-so's changed. Right? Maybe these people have changed. Listen to what they say in Matthew 27, verse 41. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. You got us this time, Jesus. If you can, if you can get off that cross, we're going to finally believe it. That's the miracle that we need. And yet if you come off the cross, all of humanity would die lost in sin. From Adam to the last man that lives on the face of the earth. He couldn't use divine power to gain popularity, right? That would have been a sin. And in verse 43 and 44, he trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. And so there's the challenge, right? Do I just keep trusting Jesus? Do I just, do, I mean, you know, in my life, my life isn't always where, it want, where I want it to be and things aren't always going the way they want them to go. Do I keep trusting in Jesus or do I start trusting in man? Do I just begin to trust in myself? Do I give up on God because God's not listening to me? Or do I look to the cross and I say, wait a minute, not only was God listening, God was 100% involved. God's will was being done and it was for our good. It was for the good of Jesus, too. Because when it says God so loved the world, that's Jesus. He loved the world. The Father loved the world. The Holy Spirit loved the world. It would not be taken away from him. And then the last thing I think about. Luke chapter 23. Before Jesus closes his eyes, There's this conversation that, that happens. And the conversation that happens between Jesus and the thief on the cross is really interesting because the thief, you know, I think about Joseph's brothers, you know, they put together a lie. They say, hey, you know, dad said before he died that you know, he really wants you to forgive us for what we, that guys, you just haven't changed. The thief on the cross who was earlier, just, I mean, we're only talking six hours, right, on the cross. Somewhere in that time period. He's mocking Jesus with the other thief. And somewhere in there, he, he repents, right? He has godly sorrow. He, he changes his heart. I heard someone say once to someone else, and, and you'll be sad to know that this was a preacher to a, a member if you were on fire, I wouldn't spit on you to put you out. Relationship issues. Can you imagine the audacity of verse 42? That thief saying to Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom? How would you have handled that? Oh, no. 
Oh no, no, you're you're one of the reasons I'm up. You're the reason I'm up here because of your sin. Or I forgive you. Now, now remember, now in the midst of pain and agony on the cross for all these hours and suffering, and and the suffering Savior is willing to save. He loves he loves people, but Jesus has been through so much. And, and not one time does he say, "No, I'm done with you." Instead, he remains full of love. And though he was overwhelmed, he said, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. What what an amazing Savior that we serve. John chapter 19. I think my my point in, in this lesson, I hope that you can get something out of this that really moves you. But you feel like you owe God something? You know, I don't know. I'm just wondering. I, you feel like, you, I mean, when someone says, you know, are you, are you going to worship? Like, man, I, I can't wait to get there. Thank you, God. Right? And then one day I'm going to get to see him and thank you, God. You think you owe him something? And then, and then when, I, when I give back to him, is it really much? Uh, in comparison to what he gave to me, I'm hoping that maybe that feeling of indebtedness grows in our hearts. In verse 26 of John chapter 19, there's one more thing, one more piece to this. Even in his dying day, that last, whatever that that hour was, that that last hour, those, those last, whatever they were, he looks out in verse 26. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Took care of his mother. Well, Willie, next next Sunday evening, I'm going to talk about the mother with with Jesus. He took care of his mother. So when I go and I read Hebrews 4, and I I look at verse 15, and I think about some of the struggles in in my life, the disappointments in life, the, uh, the victories in life, whatever, however you want to think about it. And I, and I look at it in view of Jesus. I think about verse 15 in a light that really touches me in a way that moves. I think it moves all of us. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we, and yet without without sin. And then I think about Hebrews 13. And I think about Hebrews 13 in a, in a different light. I know that, that it's clear because Satan has made it clear. You know, he never gave Jesus a break. He never, I mean, he never gave, even before Jesus could make a decision, you know, uh, you know he, they had to flee. He never gave Jesus a break while on the earth. And he will never give us a break. The only breaks that we feel is the protection of God and the peace that God can put into our hearts. But evil is ever before us, isn't it? It's everywhere. But I look at Hebrews 13 and verse 5 and I can hold on to that, you see. I can look at Jesus on the cross and and I've got something to hold on to. And it says, 
Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? And I guess the question tonight in closing is, can you honestly and truly say, since you've been a child of God, that God has never left you and that God has never ever forsook or forsaken you? Can you truly say that? And if you cannot, maybe go back to the scene of the cross and see if you can find something about you and see if you can relate the suffering of Jesus, the victory of Jesus, and then the helping hand of God forever and always in your life. I know it's just a, it's just a poem and it's not... It's not, you know, it's not in the scriptures or anything, but you have to think about that footprints in the sand, huh? God never lets us go. It doesn't mean, he, it doesn't mean he's not going to have his will and it, it might be against what I want. God, save me, and it might be my death. But that's God saving me, right? Thank you, God, for that. But he says, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Thank you, God. The lesson is yours. Tonight, if we can help in any way, if there are any there that would like to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism, if we can pray with you or pray for you, if there's anything we can do to help in your walk of faith, please come on. Together we stand and sing our song of invitation.